Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We are finishing our two-part series with this third part. Yeah, I, I thought it would be a two-part series, but just have so much stuff to discuss. The series is entitled The Myth of settled science. So this will be the third and final. This It really will be final this time. And we've been discussing the idea that the time for debate is over. It's been settled. It's time for action now. Again, we hear that phrase applied to many different things, meaning they've done the research for us. It's black and white. No more questioning. It's time to take our marching orders and do whatever they're telling us to do. So before we get any further, Again, please make sure you subscribe to our podcasts, and then, if you can, leave a five-star review. That helps us tremendously getting the word out to more and more people. So what can you expect today? I really will wind this down. Part three of three, a myth of settled science. Got to wrap up some pretty interesting things and then give you some powerful takeaways that should be very, very practical Again, there's always additional resources on our ministry website, thestartingpointproject.com. Lots of free videos, articles, and a bunch of other things. And also, I haven't really talked about it, but the main thing I do is travel around and speak. And if you want me to speak somewhere, you can get a hold of us. I'll see if I can fit it in my schedule. We do not charge anything for our engagements. So we do ask that uh, travel expenses be covered, but... We just accept honorariums or whatever the host deems to be appropriate. But there's never a charge for the engagement, whether I speak once or 10 times while I'm out there. Uh, no charge. So you can go to our website, thestartingpointproject.com, and contact us if you're interested in one of those engagements. I've mentioned a few times in the past, too, I also lead Grand Canyon tours. We have five at this point, five this year, leaving in a couple of days for one of them. But you can, on our website, see the dates of those. If you're ever interested in signing up, uh, get a hold of us for that as well. So with that, really quick summary of the first two parts. We gave some background information of how science works. It's not black and white. It's very colorful, a lot of interpretation. Science can be used as a club to bully us into doing whatever they want us to do and shaming us into taking whatever action they want us to take. Uh, science is actually never settled because we keep learning new things and we'll change our mind on things when we discover new evidence. And I gave examples of when scientists were wrong, uh, significantly wrong with their conclusions, even though it was the science of the day for many, many years even. It just takes one person or one piece of evidence to overturn that. So then we started looking at two specific examples, COVID-19 and climate change. We finished COVID-19, and then we were talking about climate change when we ran out of time last time. In episode number two, the last one, I discussed the Green New Deal that we're supposed to be forced to switch over to 100% renewable energy sources, getting away from the fossil fuels. Uh, so they're pushing wind and solar, which is you know interesting technology. We're just not ready to switch over to it yet. It cannot handle the load. Uh, we talked about the concept of overpopulation. They tell us there's too many people on the planet. I went through the numbers on that. Very interesting. Plus, there are recent articles. I didn't go over this last time, but recent articles that they're concerned about the population of the Earth declining. 
So not only is it declining, they're concerned about it, which they're always going to be concerned so they can tell you how they're going to fix it for us. So I made the statement that climate change is climate change. <laughs> it's always been climate change. There always has been. There always will be. We'll talk about that further today. Uh, the problem is the alarmism. They'll draw your attention to something and they get you all up in arms and all worried about things so that you're in a better position to just desperately do whatever they're telling you has to be done. I gave examples of, I don't know, six or seven of the 13 major failed predictions of the original Earth Day that was from 1970. 50 years later, you take a look, you know, back in 2020 of what actually happened and they were just grossly wrong about their predictions, but they're making the same predictions over and over today because most people aren't aware of the original predictions. They aren't aware that they were terribly wrong, so just they work well. And it's fear-mongering very often. So that's as far as I got last time, so we're going to pick up from there. Talking again about climate change, there are three huge questions, three major questions, three very significant questions that need to be answered in order to have any rational, efficient discussion about climate change. And here are the three questions. Number one, is the climate changing? Number two, if the climate is changing, is the change bad? Number three, how much of the change, if any, is caused by human activity? Those are very important questions that need to be answered if we're going to make any headway with this topic. Let me address all three very briefly. Number one, is the climate changing? Yes, definitely yes. I would not argue with that at all. The climate is changing. It basically always has been changing. We have a pretty good history of it. Just here's an example. From about 950 to 1250 AD, it was warmer than today, about 1 degree Celsius. From about 1300 to 1850, the temperatures dropped about 2 degrees Celsius, which would make it 1 degree Celsius cooler than today. In the 20th, 21st centuries, the warming started, but it stagnated over the past, let's say, 20 years or so. From about 2016 forward, the temperatures have declined slightly about 0.2 degrees Celsius. So yes, it, it's changed. We have a record of that. I don't know of anyone who would say the climate has never changed. But what happens is they say climate change is bad and we have proof the climate is changing. Therefore, you need to do all these things we're telling you to do. So, well, hold on. We're not arguing that, that it's changing. It's always changed. In fact... I guarantee you, if the climate ever stopped changing, the alarms would be going off and they would be saying the climate has always changed, but now it's not and we're causing it to not change and that's bad, so you need to do what we're telling you to do right now. So whether it changes or not, they're going to make a deal out of it. So is the climate changing? Yes. No argument. Second question, if the climate is changing, and we think it is, <laughs> Is the change bad? Now, that's a really interesting question. We could do a whole series just on that, but you probably don't need that much detail, and I got other things I'd rather cover, so let me just be extremely brief for now with an analogy. I love analogies. I help you kind of picture things. None of them are perfect, but it'll head you down the right path. So 
if the climate is changing, is the change we're seeing bad? Here's the analogy. Let's say there's a guy, a friend of yours, he's going to go outside, but it's in the winter and it's cold outside. So he changes. He had been standing there and let's just say a pair of shorts. He puts on an undershirt. He changed. Well, that's definite change. And that's actually a good change. He's going to go outside. It's cold out. That's a good change. Then you watch him put a t-shirt on. Further change. Well, that's change, but it's good because he's going outside. It's cold out. Then you watch him put a nice warm sweater on. Further change. Well, that's that's good too because, again, it's, it's snowing outside. It's cold out there. So that's good change. But then you find out he's not going outside for another half an hour. Well, at that rate, he's going to be like the Michelin tire man, if you've ever seen that. Um, he's going to be so huge with all these layers of clothes. When he gets out there, he's going to fall over. He won't be able to get up to get back inside. He'll freeze overnight. So that's terrible. This change is terrible. Well, what just happened? You took real observable change, undershirt, t-shirt, sweater, and you extrapolated that at that rate into the future. Well, yes, at that rate, that would be bad if that change keeps happening at that rate. But it's kind of like saying it's one degree warmer out today than it was yesterday. Well, if that keeps up, by the end of the year, it'll be more than 300 degrees warmer than it is today. That's awful. This, this change is terrible. We got to do something to stop it. So you took a snippet of what you're actually seeing now. There's no question. We've seen that now. And you extrapolated. You put that in your climate models and say, look how bad things will be if you don't do what we're telling you to do. So again, it has to do with the extrapolations and all the, there's a lot more that I could say. And it's tied into many other areas. You've all heard of ice cores. And what they'll do is they'll drill down in the ice and they'll count the layers in the ice to figure out how many years ago are they looking at in this layer of ice. And they'll say there's one layer of ice for every year. So if they're counting down, let's say 12,000 layers, that was 12,000 years ago. And then they're measuring carbon dioxide levels and other things and figuring out what was the climate like 12,000 years ago. Well, there's an assumption there. There's an assumption that every layer in this core represents one year. Well, we know that's not really a good assumption because we see multiple layers forming in a single year. That's real science. We've observed that. In fact, as one example, there was a World War II plane and it had crash landed, I think, in Greenland and they had to abandon the plane, so it sat there. And it started to be covered with ice. And in less than 50 years, it had been covered with 250 feet of ice in less than 50 years. You drill down through that and call, count all the layers, you're counting many, many more than 50 years. So it's a not, not a good assumption to say every layer in that ice represents a year. Plus, the further down they get, the more squished those layers are. And there are times when they're they're looking at layers and they say, oh, we think we see like 10,000 10, layers. So our data is from 10,000 years ago. So this is what the temperature was like and the CO2 levels and all these things. Then they discover something else about that depth in the earth that they say is 30,000 years old. Well, the ice core said, what, 10,000 years old? But this other thing says 30,000 years old. So sometimes they'll go back to those ice cores and like, oh, you know what I think? 
I think we missed some layers here. Oh, yeah, I did find 20,000 more. Maybe that's an, an exaggeration. But they'll just magically find more layers that they didn't really see before because they needed to match up with something else. So ice core dating isn't what you think it probably is. It's not black and white. Uh, there are a lot of problems with using that. And it's somewhat similar with regular radiometric dating. When I get into the whole creation evolution controversy, we will talk about radiometric dating and a fair amount of detail. I won't get overly technical, but I'll help you understand what's going on with radiometric dating. We'll talk about carbon-14 dating and other things. There are many assumptions behind radiometric dating methods in order to get results out of them. If your, if your assumptions are incorrect, your conclusions will be faulty, and that's what happens. And they use multiple methods on the same rock or whatever. They come up with varying, greatly varying dates sometimes, contradictory dates, and they kind of pick and choose what they want. Again, we'll cover that in a lot more detail in future podcasts. But we see problems. But then what they do, again, they'll be looking at a layer of the earth and they say, oh, this is from 100,000 years ago, 2 million years ago or whatever. And then they tell us what the climate was like back then. And they put all that data into their climate models and then they tell us the world is ending. Again, you know, garbage in, garbage out, putting faulty data in, faulty manipulation of the data once it gets in there, and then the output just happens to be what they want it to be. And there are times when organizations will pay big bucks for someone to do a study on something. Well, is the company going to come in and take millions of dollars to do a study to tell the company who's paying them that they're totally wrong about their expectations? No, they generally conveniently say, wow, you guys were right. Here's the data that you want, I mean need. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's, that's another rabbit trail. But um, third question, how much of the change that we do see occurring, how much, if any, is caused by human activity? That's a very interesting question. I really don't have time to do that one justice. We can have that debate for a long time. I think humans play a role. I think it's a relatively minor role compared to so many other factors, but I really don't have time to get into all those details. But this is an assumption. The assumption is that we're seeing the change and most of it is caused by human activity, so we need to change our activity. That's a big, big factor in the climate change debate. Interesting, back in 1975, Science News had a cover article said, The Ice Age Cometh. So what's going on there? They were warning us about the coming ice age. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. So they were very clever. They went literally from global cooling to global warming. Now the earth is heating up because uh, it's not cooling down. It's going the other way. So we can call it global warming and you need to drastically change your lifestyle because you're killing the planet and all that. Well, guess what? The global warming thing really didn't go over well at all. If you're talking about scientific data. So they morphed from global cooling to global warming and then global warming to climate change. I give them credit. That is very, very clever. Climate change. Now, any change at all is bad and it's your fault. So you need to do whatever we're telling you because we're giving you the data. The climate is changing and we've also concluded it's your fault. So you need to change drastically. And if you don't, you don't care that people are dying all over the planet. So again, shaming you. Well, this is interesting too. A number of years ago, 
when President Obama was in office, he made a very famous statement. And honestly, this is not really so much about Obama. I think probably almost anyone in that position would have probably made this statement. He didn't discover this thing. They probably came to him and said, we want you to say this. And he probably had no problem saying it with knowing you know, his background. But I'm, I'm not trying to pick on him at all. I'm just saying this came from the president of the United States. And you may remember the phrase. Here's the phrase, quote, 97% of scientists agree climate change is real, man-made, and dangerous, unquote. Very powerful statement. So let's think about that. 97% of scientists agree. Okay, right there, that's the majority of scientists. In fact, you could say the vast majority of scientists. So what is it that the vast majority of scientists believe? Well, they believe that climate change is real, and it's man-made, and it's dangerous. Three things. It's real, it's man-made, and dangerous. Well, climate change is real. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that it's not 100% of scientists that agree that climate change is real. Now, I'm guessing the 3% who said they don't believe it's real, it's not that they don't believe in climate change. They don't believe in the hype that's associated with it. So when they said they didn't agree, it was probably more that than denying that the climate changes. But So climate change is real. I have no problem with that. They also, apparently, the vast majority of scientists, 97% of scientists on this planet agree that climate change is man-made. Okay, it's a bold claim. We'll look at that. And they all agree, 97%, that climate change is dangerous. So there's a lot in that statement. Question, where did the 97% figure come from? Very interesting. You know, I've, I've worked with numbers long enough with physics and engineering and computer programming And in a sense, you can get numbers to say anything you want them to. And again, science doesn't say anything. Numbers don't say anything. But you can use numbers to support any narrative you want if you're clever. So where did this 97% come from that Obama quoted? Now again, I I can't imagine that he knew the details behind this. He was probably just told the statement and he's, he's got people who do this kind of work. He doesn't have time to do that. Presidents don't. You rely on others. So that makes sense. I don't blame them for that. But where did the 97% come from? Well, this is where it came from. And again, I apologize for doing lots of numbers here because it's audio. So I'll try to go slow. But I think you'll get the gist of this. And this, this, to me, this should get your blood boiling. This is like so deceptive. So where did the 97% come from? Well, a survey was given to 10,000 Earth scientists. So not to all scientists on the planet. It would probably be pretty difficult to carry out. But the survey was not given to all the scientists on the planet. It was just given to 10,000 Earth scientists. We're we're kind of filtered down to that percentage of scientists. And they were asked two questions. Number one, do you agree that global temperatures have generally risen since the pre-1800s? Well, again, that's pretty straightforward. We were in a little ice age back then. We are slightly cooler. And yeah, we, we're warmer. No one wants to live in that ice age. So we're warmer today. So again, I, I can't imagine anyone denying that. But that was one question. That's a legitimate question. Second question. Do you think that human activity is a significant contributing factor? Okay, 
legitimate question. Those, those are the two questions that were posed to 10,000 Earth scientists. Now, they only received about 3,100 responses. So that's about a third, less than a third of the people, the scientists they surveyed. So they surveyed 10,000 Earth scientists, so not all scientists, just those scientists, and only a third of those responded. 90% of those that responded said yes to question one. They agree that the temperatures have generally risen since the pre-1800s. Again, I'm shocked it's not 100%, but fine, 90%. Question number two, do you think that human activity is a significant contributing factor? 80% said yes to that. That's 24% of the 10,000 Earth scientists to begin with, so not all of them responded, um, and a small percentage did respond, or a third of them, and you got 80% of those that did respond said, yes, you know, they think that you know human activity is a significant factor, and that's what they thought. It's, we're a significant factor. Did they think this is the end of the world? That's not what they're being asked. Are we a significant factor? That's all that's being asked here. So, gets more interesting. Among the 77 scientists of the 10,000 that were surveyed and 3,100 responded, 77, 77 scientists who considered themselves to be climate experts, 75 of the 77 said yes to human activity is a significant contributing factor. Okay, so now we're just looking at the small, very, very small percentage of scientists who consider themselves climate experts. That's just 77 out of the 10,000 that they surveyed. 75%, or sorry, 75 that said yes out of 77, that equals 97%. So 97% of the small number of scientists who consider themselves climate experts think that human activity is a significant contributing factor. That's where the 97% comes from. So summarizing this whole thing, that those 75 scientists who said yes, compared to not all that responded, but to the 10,000, which is only a small percentage of all the scientists on the planet, if you look at it that way, it turns out that it's 0.77% of scientists who were given a survey, thought that man's activity is playing a significant role. That's what they claim. So they took 0.77% of scientists who thought that and turned it around into 97% of scientists agree that climate change is real, it's man-made and dangerous. Um, 0.77 think that man has a factor, is playing a factor. They're not even saying it's man-made, that we, we're the ones who generated it. They're just saying currently we are contributing. That's what they're saying. None of them said that it was dangerous. But Obama turns around and gives the impression that the vast majority of sci all scientists on the planet admit climate change is real, we caused it, and it's dangerous. That is is so fallacious, it's not even funny, but that's what goes out, and hey, you can't argue with that. Obama's just telling you what the experts told him, which that's what he did. He's just repeating what they told him to say, and he probably had no reason to doubt that. I doubt that he knew the details behind that number, so again, I'm not trying to fault him. Let me wind down with this. This, to me, in my opinion, is an amazing summary of the climate change 
crisis that we're in right now in the discussion. This comes from Prager University. This is PragerU.com, P-R-A-G-E-R-U, the letter U.com. I have not seen all their videos. I have not seen most of their videos. The ones that I have seen, I felt, were very well done and very professional. So I really like what I've seen. This is not a blanket statement saying that I agree with everything they've ever put out. I don't know. Maybe if I watched them all, I would love them all. Maybe I'd say, wow, I I really disagree with those. So I'm not trying to say you should believe everything that you hear from there because I don't know. That's not my point. My point is when they were commenting on climate change, I thought they did an incredible job. And that's my opinion. You can have your own opinion. But I'm going to take what they put together and summarize it for you because I I think they laid it out very, very well. They said when you're dealing with climate change, you're dealing with three groups of people. The first two groups consist of scientists, groups one and two. They're scientists. The third group are politicians, environmentalists, and the media. Okay, group one, scientists. This is the International Panel on Climate Change. So it's a pretty small group of scientists. They're on this panel of climate change, and they're international. They're very concerned about climate change, so that's why they're on this panel. They mostly believe that the recent warming is due to man's burning of fossil fuels, the oil, coal, and natural gas. That's the first group of scientists, a small group. The second group are all basically all the other scientists. They're called skeptics. Sometimes they call them climate deniers. It's very condescending. They're not climate deniers. They believe that there is climate and it changes. They just are skeptical about the conclusions that other scientists have reached. This second group, much larger body, I'm not saying they're right because it's a larger body. I'm just saying the majority of them are in the second group, not the first one. They believe there are many reasons why the climate changes. So, yeah, they believe it changes, and there are many reasons. you got solar variations, cloud formations, oceans, interaction between the oceans and the clouds, orbital variations, lots of stuff going on. None of those factors are truly understood, and that there's no evidence that CO2 emissions are the dominant factor. That's the second group of scientists who are studying this. This is interesting. Here are five points of agreement between the two groups. The first smaller group, that they're on this international panel on climate change and they're concerned about climate change, those scientists and all those other skeptical scientists, here's five points that they all agree on. Number one, they all agree the climate is always changing. Number two, they all agree CO2 is a greenhouse gas that's necessary for life. Adding more would lead to some warming. They agree with that. Number three, Atmospheric CO2 has been increasing since the end of the Little Ice Age. That's back in the mid-1800s. Number four, over the past 200 years, the Earth's temperature has increased slightly and erratically about one degree Celsius total. It's only been since the 1960s that man's activity have been sufficient enough to play a role. And fifthly, no confident prediction of future global average temperatures or its impact can be made. Even according to the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, they all agree you can't make an accurate prediction of the future because there's just so many factors going on here. They all agree on that. But here's the real shocker. No one from either of these groups of scientists is claiming 
that the burning of fossil fuels leads to catastrophe. So where is the alarmism coming from? It's coming from group three. The politicians, environmentalists, and the media. The politicians are all caught up in money and power. We, we know that. Environmentalists, they're big on money for their organizations and their confirmation of their religious-like beliefs that man is an evil disease destroying nature. And media, they are all about ideology, money, and headlines. So, I think that's a great summary from PragerU to help you get your head wrapped around climate change. I got to wind down here. I've covered a lot in three parts now. Here are takeaways that I'll give you from this series. Number one, scientifically, you'll never know. What do I mean by that? Scientifically, you'll never really, really, really know everything about climate change or COVID or whatever the issue is that they're bringing up. Why? You may not have the background to understand the science. You may know the science, but you don't care. You may know the science and care, but you're not uh, being privy to the actual data. You're just getting results from other people saying, trust us, this is what we're seeing. So there's all these factors. Plus, we get new data that sometimes gives clarity to what we were thinking. We have to tweak our views. Sometimes we were completely wrong. So scientifically, you're never going to really, 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 really know because we don't know that we know everything. We don't know everything. Next one. Settled science is often settled narrative, meaning they've already decided what they want to believe and they ain't budging. <laughs> so they call it settled science, but it's really, this is what we believe and we're not changing our mind and we're going to say it's supported by science. And if you try to say anything, we're going to cancel you. We're going to shut you down. The time for debate is over. Next, the issue is usually, I don't want to say never, but it's usually not the issue. The issue is usually not the issue. And I need to be very very careful with how I describe this. But often when someone is pushing a particular issue, it's not that they really care about that issue. They want to accomplish something else, and they see this issue as being very convenient. It's a convenient tool to accomplish what they want, but they don't really care about the factor that's involved or the people that are involved. Again, I'm taking my chances. I, I want to say this very carefully. I don't want anyone to misinterpret this. But I think a lot of that happens with racism. I think racism is a real thing, and we can always improve on those things. However, a lot of the people pushing, whether it's critical race theory or other things, and chanting and doing all these things, I think many of them don't care at all about the racial groups they are referring to. It's just a useful tool to accomplish something else. But they keep trying to shame everyone else and divide us in fact, the simplest thing to get rid of racism is to stop talking about race. We are all equal. The Bible says we're all of one blood. You could do a whole series on that, and I'm sure I will touch on that when we talk about creation and evolution. But just be aware that when someone is pushing some issue really hard, very often they don't really care about that thing, trying to save the planet or the spotted owl or whatever. They want something else, power, prestige, money, whatever it is. Uh, so the issue is often not really the issue. Also, keep balanced. Don't go overboard regarding any particular issue. If there's something you really feel led to research and study and tell others about, that's fine. But keep a balance on it. And don't be, don't be the guy who, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then everything else looks like a nail. 
So you're just going to go whacking everything as if it's a nail when it might not be a nail, but you only have a hammer. So that's all you're ever going to do. So don't be a, a one issue person. And for Christians listening to me, scripture is our ultimate authority. Since you won't really, 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 really know because of the whole science thing that I mentioned, you ultimately have to say, okay, God, I, you know, I'm hearing scientific arguments on both sides of whatever this issue is, and they, they both actually sound pretty good. I don't know who's, who's right and who's wrong. Maybe they're both wrong. You can say, God, I'm not expected to know. I can't get these PhDs to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And even if I had the PhD, I probably still wouldn't know. So you say, okay, God, help me understand what do you want me to do in light of the fact that I'm not going to know scientifically. Scripture is your authority. Read Scripture, pray. God will give you direction as to what he wants your response to be to whatever issue is that you're dealing with. And lastly, for Christians also, always bring the focus back to Scripture and the gospel message. So if someone brings up climate change, COVID, border crisis, inflation, whatever it is, talk to them about them. Find out why it is that they're concerned about that issue. What do they think the solution is? Let them talk. You want to learn what they think and why they think that. That's that's really important. And then you'll be better positioned to know how to respond. But in that discussion, always bring the focus back to the fact that you have ultimate and eternal hope in Jesus Christ. The world isn't going to solve all of its problems. Only Jesus can. And we're looking forward to his return. You can always get it back to the gospel, which is the only thing that's going to bring hope to people. Because we're always going to have these issues. They're not going away. And if any one goes away, two others will rise up to take its place. So... I hope I gave you a little better understanding of how science works and this myth of settled science. It's never really settled. It's not black and white. We need to be using critical thinking no matter what we hear, even if you're hearing it from a source you trust and like. doesn't automatically mean that they're right. So use critical thinking, pray about things, Uh, again, God will help you through this. And if you're a skeptic, you probably don't want to do the praying thing and the Bible thing. I think that'd be a good place to go, but maybe you're not ready for that yet. Hopefully I still gave you some critical thinking skills to rationally sort through a lot of these issues that are being thrown our way every day of our lives. So what's next? Well, I will finally, finally begin to delve into the ever-controversial creation versus evolution controversy. I... I've been promising that for a while that we'd eventually get to it. Now is the time. I'm not going to put it off any further. I've, I've set a lot, of, a lot of foundation for jumping into it. So that'll be the next episode. And I'm not going to do this monstrous series, even though I could. I'll, I'll do a pretty good chunk. And I'll, along the way, I'll bring in other experts, other scientists, some of them world's leading scientists, to chime in and share some pretty cool things along the way. And then we might cover a few other topics and jump back into it and go back and forth. So I I won't bore you with just this one topic for a long time, but it's, it's fascinating. I promise this is, you know, probably my forte because I've been studying creation evolution for 38 years and I have a few things I could share along the way. So again, make sure you tell a friend, tune in again, please subscribe And if you can leave that five-star review, that would be a tremendous help to us. You don't want to miss the beginning of the next series. We will see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. 
To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.